great to have you with us today um, here at Richmond. There's a few new faces in the room. I'd love to invite you to share a coffee with us um, afterwards. Uh, it'd be great to spend some time out in our cafe sharing some of our story with you and hearing some of your story um, as well. Uh, we're beginning the new year with a new series called Jesus and You. We've got a graphic, I think, that um, Sophie's made for us while she's on holidays or before she went on holidays. And we're going to look at four key statements that Jesus makes in Mark's gospel, each of which could be read individualistically, but are actually spoken to the plural you, spoken to us as the people of God. And we want to ask, what does that statement mean for the way that we follow Jesus? And we're excited for this series because we're opening the Gospel of Luke, we're beginning our new year, but we're also introducing three new Richmond preachers. So over the next three weeks, we'll introduce you to Phil, Brad, and Rena, who are all going to preach up here. We're pretty excited about that. Uh, so please encourage them uh, and get excited for them. Phil looks more scared than excited right now. You'll be fine, man. Now this week, you might have seen in The Age, um, uh, Walid Ali wrote an article um, in the newspaper The Age where he said this, and I want to quote him. This was the decade we turned inward and away from others. It's true politically, but it's also true culturally and socially too. And everything flows from that. The overarching thoroughgoing phenomenon that defines the 2010s is that it's the moment the very notion of a public started rapidly disintegrating while we were busy staring at our phones. I think that couple of sentences captures pretty well the last 10 years. It captures a cultural shift we've seen. Whatever you think of Waleed and his commentary across Australia, sometimes accurate and sometimes less so, he captures something of the cultural shift that has been happening for more than a decade, I think. And it helps us to understand some of the changes that we've seen in church culture too. The social media and mobile phones aren't entirely the cause of the phenomena that we're seeing in culture around us. They amplify the symptoms, we know that, but we were already turning inwards. In the past, individualistic choices and preference-based social groups were already formed. We would talk with the neighbours that we liked, we would read the newspapers that we preferred, and we would hang out at the pubs or the churches that better suited our preferences. We already split ourselves up into individualised, preference-based groups. And one lament that we share as Christian leaders, as church leaders, um, when I talk to people across our denomination and others, is that we've experienced in our discipleship and preaching and teaching, some of us have grown up in this, a focus on an individualistic understanding of salvation, and we've learned to live out a faith that emphasised personalised discipline and quiet devotion. And the church then became for us a place for those of us having an inward experience of faith to gather together to worship God as individuals, even though we were sitting alongside each other, to listen to teaching as applied just to me and my life and what it is that I can do to get more out of life, even to pray together, but separately, to pray as individuals all talking to God, even as we gathered together. And so then church got measured based on what I can gain for my own personalized 
faith experience. But what if church was never meant to be a gathering of inwardly oriented devotees? What if the life of faith was never meant to be lived as though the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the resources and talents given by God are just for you? What changes for us as followers of Jesus if we adjust our filters from me to we? What if we understood the Christian life as the collective pursuit of more of Jesus? What if we understood that discipleship and worship and mission and prayer, the four things that we'll be looking at in this series, all happen most richly in community? What if we reoriented our experience of faith to an understanding that Jesus would speak to a community of people, that faith is formed in community, that love in action is lived out together in community? This might sound obvious. Don't we do this church thing together? I turn up and there's other people here. But if we're honest, we realize how selfishly individualistic we can easily become even as followers of Jesus in our experience of faith, of spirituality, of learning, of devotion, of worship, of prayer, of mission. An example of this individualistically filtered faith can be found when we read the Bible. And it's all because we stopped using the word thou, blaming the word thou. Thou is, it was, is the singular word for you. And you was, still is technically, the plural of you. But because language often gets flattened over time, we find ourselves using you every time. Now, there are plural pronouns that we can use, although they tend to be used in a couple of cultural minorities around the English-speaking world, and popular culture tends to look down on these cultural minorities. You all know what I'm talking about. Come on, you guys. Right? Don't pretend you haven't wished that you could speak out a plural you without immediately regretting it in your social circles. So we find ourselves stuck between a place of restoring thou to its former place of honor or developing our Aussie accent so that we can more correctly pronounce use and get away with it. Does anyone regularly use used? No one's going to admit it publicly. <laughs> now, most of the time in conversation, we can interpret what people mean when they say you, but it becomes an issue when we read our English translations of the Bible and flatten the plural intention of the text that we are reading. Add to that these individualized filters that we use in culture. We're so used to using and reading and hearing things to be about me, about you in the singular. And so we find that our readings and our teachings of Scripture become individualistically skewed over time. You with me? So in order to more richly develop our faith and practice, we need to do two things. We need to become more familiar with the passages that are spoken to the plural you. We need to understand better which passages are talking to the community of the people of God. And we need to adjust our filters, the questions we ask, the way we make decisions, the way we understand and hear the Bible, preaching, each other. We need to adjust our filters 
to think more collectively. And so we want to practice both of these things this year as a Christian community, as a church community here at Richmond, and especially in this series. So let's have a look at a passage from the Gospel of Mark. And in this part of the Gospel story, Jesus has just challenged the place and the purpose of the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple was the place of access to and communion with, relationship with God. But in Jesus, we see a new day dawn where everyone can relate to God. Jesus essentially tears down the walls of the temple in this story. And he has this to say. Have faith in God, replied Jesus. I'm telling you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, be off with you, get yourself thrown into the sea. If they have no doubt in their heart, but believe that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. That's why I'm telling you everything that you request in prayer, everything you ask God for, believe that you receive it and it will happen for you. Sounds good, doesn't it? And when you are standing there praying, if you have something against someone else, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, there is a way that you can take this passage, especially verse 24, everything you ask God for, believe that you will receive it and it will happen for you. You can tweet that. That's a tweetable verse. You can take this verse and think, well, God says everything I might ask for, I will get. That's what it says, right? And you can add this to your list of reasons why it's good to have God around in your life. But what you're really doing here is shaping God to be a prayer-activated genie who sits waiting for you to activate him and say, hey God, I'd like to be a bit better off than I am now. There's a way to hear and read that passage that is individualistic, that is aimed at you and for you and for you to get what you want. And so God, I'm sounding different, I'm not even saying you. And so God becomes for you like Alexa or Siri, an on-demand system to supply you with answers to your questions or order your latest desires on express shipping. But this is not God. Neither is God some sky fairy prayed to by unintelligent people to make them feel better in a crisis. God is not some deity far off and indifferent to the cries of the people. God is not some unknowable, mystical being that can only be reached by the most reverent devotees. God is not hidden behind some religious rituals and contained in some temple or other house of worship. In Jesus, we are invited to communicate with a God who speaks and who listens, who relates with us, who wants to know us. The story of God in the Bible is the story of a God of compassion and love, who seeks intimacy with and honesty with his people. The story of God in the Bible, who we see in Jesus, who we Meet in Jesus is a desire for relationship with humanity, a passionate pursuit of deep and real relationship with a people. Another way of summarizing the story of God in the Bible is to say that we don't just worship the idea of God, but that we're invited into a passionate and warm relationship with a living God. The Apostle Paul gets to this in his letter to the Romans 
in chapter 8 when he says this, all who are led by the Spirit of God, you see, are God's children. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery, did you, to go back again into a state of fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, of daughtership, in whom we call out Abba, Father. We can communicate with the God of the universe in an intimate and loving relationship, and prayer is the articulation of that relationship. And so our prayer life, the way we pray, the honesty of our prayers, the subject of our prayers, all reveal something of our understanding of who God is and what he is like. Prayer reveals the health and well-being and growth and depth of our relationship with God. But it's not just a measure. Prayer is not just a way to check how healthy you are, how spiritually healthy you are. Prayer is vital to the relationship with God. We pour so much of our energy, don't we, into work and physical health and entertainment and all sorts of other things, and we've never lived in a, in a culture or a time where we can be more easily and quickly distracted and entertained. And so much of life out here gets priority but that means so much of what goes on in here is left unattended. And so we become unpracticed at what to do when we're on our own, in solitude. We become uncomfortable with self-examination and we will have a short attention span for any kind of reflection. Sound familiar? Don't tell me you haven't reached for your phone already this morning. No? You don't have to pretend, I know you do. This time to sit and reflect is an unpracticed skill. And a trend we're seeing happen across our community is that focus is becoming a special superpower. If you are able to focus, you essentially have a superpower in our world. You know what I'm talking about, right? To stay on the same task for an extended period of time growing, learning, getting better at something, focusing, just staying doing the same thing for more than a few minutes at a time is a superpower now. This is true in our professions, in our hobbies, but it's also true in our relationships, including our relationship with God. Across human history, this has always been true, but it is amplified in our world of on-demand, in-your-pocket distractions. So how much more do we need to invest in the inner reflective practices of silence, confessing, listening, and reflecting with God in prayer? And so a challenging test in your spiritual integrity, in your spiritual vitality, is to consider your prayer when there is no experiential or no social payoff. How do you pray when there's no experiential payoff or any social payoff? Do you know what I mean? In other words, what is your prayer life like when you are alone? When you are spiritually flat and dry? What is your prayer life like when life is going pretty good? And not just when your back is against the wall. It's in these spaces that we learn to speak with God and not just towards God. It's in this quiet space that we learn to speak with God and not just at God. 
It's here in these quiet spaces, in these reflective spaces, in these inwardly focused spaces that we find the rest and the wrestle with God. And it's here that we begin to understand more of who God is and more of who we are. So we must make a priority of it. We must make time for it. We must practice it. Because learning to pray involves finding more restful experiences of love and listening and involves more wrestling too. Because as you long to see God triumph over evil in your own heart and in your world, you'll wrestle with him. And prayer is a struggle. It's a wrestle to make a time and a space and be honest and open yourself up to God's voice and instruction and correction and inspiration and imagination for your life, for what your life and your decisions might become. Prayer requires emotional honesty. It requires disciplined practice. It requires attention. It demands attention. But it's in these spaces, when we make the time, when we make the space, when we put down the distractions, that we find relationship and rest with God. It's in prayer too that we find a wrestle, a wrestle with the king as we lament and ask and curse and beg and weep and sit and just lie there with the groans that come from deep within, with the silent scream that gurgles up, that gushing sob that overtakes your breathing, that angry outburst that expresses injustice. We take to the wrestle with God all that we are and all that we hate and all that hurts and all that shames and we we lay it all out with God. And it's a wrestle. And we confess and we thank and we offer our praises and we honor the one who has been with us in it all and the one who made a way and the one who was compassionate and the one who was generous and the one who was faithful and the one who answered. And it's in that space that we apologize for our doubt and our lack of perspective and our unwillingness to believe and our limited understanding and our impatience. And it's in that space too that we offer up songs and poems and expressions of praise and we express our allegiance to our king and offer ourselves and and pray bold prayers that if they came true would be really hard to live out. But it's in this prayer space this space of open and honest relationship that we find both the wrestle and the rest. We relate with the Father, Abba, Father, Dad, the one who invites us to approach him, to come close to him, to make space for him, to talk with him and to listen to him. It's hard work though, isn't it? to be disciplined, to fight for the space, to be focused, to invest in your relationship with God. There's a way we can hear all of this conversation about prayer, these questions, these challenges, and go, well, this is all about me and God. How do I do this better in my quiet space? And part of that question you might need to hear today, we might need to hear today, that challenge that encouragement, that as you begin a new year and set some new goals and develop some new rhythms, that prayer where it's you and God becomes a priority, becomes something to invest in, to work towards, to grow in, to challenge yourself in. But praying is not just an isolated and individualized exercise. Prayer is community by nature. It's communing with God. 
It's a relationship. It's the speaking out and the listening of relationship with God. And it's also practicing faith in community with others. Because prayer is not just to be meant to be only hidden in our hearts. There is a place for that, those quiet prayers, that hidden space. But prayer is meant to be opened up in community, to be shared together. And there is a way to take this passage from the Gospel of Mark and apply it just to you and have God with you as your prayer-activated genie. But the passage, the story here in the Gospel of Mark is all about Jesus making a way for all people to access God. Not just the priests, not just the Jews, not just the men. Everyone to have access to God. There is significant symbolism in Jesus tearing down the walls of the temple. And as he died, the temple curtain splitting in two. The way is open for all of us to relate with, to connect with God as Father. So what changes for us in this passage when we read it with a plural you? Well, when I read it on my own, as if it's about me, I start to pray based on what I can see, my perspective and preferences and passions. But when I pray in community with you, with others, I start to develop shared preferences. And I'm challenged to think about concerns and ideas and passions that I couldn't see on my own. When I do life with you, I become more aware of what things can go wrong in life that haven't affected me yet. Of what other things there are to be passionate about in our world that I don't see or prioritize in my own life. When we rub up against each other in community, we're shaped and sharpened into the likeness of Jesus. As each of our strengths and passions and gifts and talents rubs off on each other, challenges each other, encourages each other. When I pray on my own, my prayers can be selfishly inward. When I pray with others, I hear about needs and concerns and hurts and laments that I can share in, that I can help carry. We often say to people here at Richmond, it's not just your problem, this is our problem. And it's in prayer that we can so often hear the cry of the heart of those who are in our church family. When I pray I can, on my own, I can pray based on my own experiences of life and of God. And so where I haven't seen God act in a situation before, I might pray hedged prayers. You know the ones I'm talking about? God, if you want to. Maybe if you feel like it. I'm not sure. Because my experience says that God hasn't acted there before. So maybe he won't hear. But when I pray with others who have seen God act in faithfulness, in kindness, in generosity, in compassion in that situation, they pray with boldness to a God who can act. When I pray with others, I can learn from their faith in situations where I'm not sure I have the faith or the words to pray into that situation, to pray for a miracle even. Prayer in community is an act of vulnerability. It requires an honest expression of what hurts and laments I'm expressing. 
and it's good for me to share them and it is good for me to hear them from others. Prayer in community is an act of courage. It requires saying out loud, my dreams and my hopes and my fears. And it means I hear the hopes and dreams and fears of others that I share life with. Now, prayer in community is not a performance of prayers spoken towards God, or worse, spoken towards others in the group that we're praying with, trying to make a point that they need to hear. Prayer in community is learning to pray as listeners, listening well to each other and listening well to the Spirit of God. Prayer in community is praying with others and not to others. It's praying with God and not to God. And prayer in community requires practice. We need practice, don't we? At praying in community. Richmond, come on. If we're honest with ourselves, we need to practice praying together. It's not a natural strength of ours. So what does it look like for us as a community to develop healthy, vital rhythms of prayer together. Now, for us at home, we practice this as a family. At bedtimes, most nights, we stop to say thanks for the things that we're thankful for. Sometimes it's people we've seen that day. Sometimes some of you get a mention. Sometimes it's donuts and ice cream and camping and the beach. Sometimes it's things that are true about who Jesus is. Mostly it's about all of us helping each other to see and hear what each person has been part of or noticed each day. We practice with our pastors too. Over the last two years, we've gathered most weeks to pray together. And instead of jumping straight to our to-do list and urgent prayer requests, things that are on top of our minds, we, we practice taking the time to listen, sometimes in silence, to listen to each other, to listen to what the Spirit of God might be saying to us and to our church family. Our practice has been to meet once a week, usually first thing in the morning. We've often had a passage of Scripture in front of us too. And we've had some amazing mornings of prayer together, times where God has spoken to us through Scripture, through each other as we've spoken words, phrases, questions, ideas. We've also had some mornings where one of us, or sometimes all of us, were tired or distracted or uninterested. And mornings where we've listened and sat and prayed and left without any kind of answer to prayer or noticeable hearing from God. We've even found ourselves in a slump where we couldn't find our rhythm and found it hard to keep going. So we went and saw a spiritual director together as a team, someone we all know and trust and someone who coached us through our reflection on our prayer and helped us to find our rhythm again. And we found it again. It's been invaluable. And as well as being important for the health of our pastoral team, our leadership, our church, I've found it helpful in my own rhythm. It's a part of my week that is vital to my health and well-being as a follower of Jesus. I look forward to it every week and miss it when we don't do it like the last week. But how do we practice as a church family? Because we want to practice praying together. We want to practice praying together in our Sunday gatherings. We want to practice together in our gospel groups, in our friendships, in the times that we're together. We want to pray together more often and more openly. We want to be less afraid of saying the right things because prayer is conversation, not performance. We want to practice this art of conversation with God and with others together with God. 
We want to learn from each other, praying with people who've been following Jesus for a long time. People who've seen it, heard it, trusted through it. You can learn so much by praying with people who've been following Jesus longer than you have. We want to start prayer groups in lunch breaks and coffee get-togethers during the week. We want to pray with our Bibles open. We want to learn together to listen to the Spirit of God by learning to listen to the others that we pray with, to the passages that we're reading, to the voice of God in our lives. We want to interrupt more. Interrupting our conversations, our gospel groups, our phone calls with prayer. Rather than waiting to the end of gospel group or the phone call or the conversation and saying, well, I'll pray for you, maybe there's a really great moment to just interrupt and pray as we share life together. (laughs) We don't want to just send our thoughts and prayers, do we? No? Yes? I don't want to send my thoughts and prayers. I want to actually pray. I want to fall on my knees when something's happening in someone's life. I want to turn up at their door and be with them and sit with them and listen to them and hear the cry of their heart as they go through something. A Facebook post or a text message sending thoughts and prayers is one small step in communicating that we're with you, that you're with someone in a situation. But what does it look like for us to be a church community that grows in actually praying in those situations? in taking the time, making the time of gathering together to pray. And we want to enact our amen. The number of times I've been in a prayer gathering or prayed for something myself, prayed for something in a group together, and we finish with amen, and then we go on about our business. Like all of that, we've ticked the box. We've done it now. We've prayed. It's it's in God's hands. Sometimes that's all we can do, and that's okay. But isn't there times too when you feel like there is something more we can do? How can we actually enact our amen? How can we put this into practice? How can we generously love? How can we generously give as we've prayed about something? An example for me this week has been our prayers for the firefighters. God, provide everything the firefighters need this week. That's that's a good prayer. But I reckon we could do something as well in that situation, right? We can cook some sausages and turn up with some food and be there in some way. Does that make sense? How do we enact our prayers? Jesus' invitation in this passage is for us to pray together, to ask together, to believe together. And he says when you do that together, you will receive what you ask for. I think when we pray in in community, our prayers are shaped towards Jesus' life and culture and mission. And so we're more often going to be praying with the heartbeat of God. Praying for things that are of God and for God and less selfishly, distractedly inward. Now this is a challenge to our church culture, I think. This this verse that says, believe and pray and you will receive, this challenges our church culture. This challenges me. This calls me out of my reservations and hesitations and, and the quiet requests to God. Because it calls us to cry out, to call out, to ask and to believe and to pray for King Jesus to act and to speak and to provide. And the story of God in the Bible is the story of a God who acts with compassion and generosity and kindness and faithfulness to all that he has promised. 
So why don't we pray sometimes as if God is the king who conquered death, the God who made it all, the father who loves us so much that he sent his only son, the God in the gospel whose generosity knows no limit. What challenge is there for us in the way that we pray? Jesus says everything that you request in prayer, everything you ask God for, believe that you receive it and it will happen for you. This is hugely challenging to my hesitations, to my reservations, to my limits, perhaps, that I've placed around God. This year, our pastoral team hears from God in our prayer time that we think our church is being challenged to pray more and pray for more. And what does this mean for our practices, for our rhythms for our life together as a Christian community, as followers of Jesus. You might remember a few weeks ago, I prayed a whole sermon. Um, back in September, we did a passage from Ephesians, um, and I memorized then read out the passage for you, and then the rest of the sermon was a prayer coming out of that passage. I was incredibly challenged by the last two verses in that passage. They've been echoing in our prayer times together as a pastoral team, They've been echoing in our decision-making as we think about 2020. I want to read them to you. And then we're going to open the space up for us to pray together. Because I don't think we can talk about prayer, say amen, and move on to coffee. So we want to open a space for us to pray together. Let me read this from Ephesians chapter 3. So, to the one who is capable of doing far, far more than we can ask or imagine, the one who granted the power which is working in us, to him be the glory in the church, in this church, and in King Jesus to all generations and to the ages of ages. What a challenging verse. Paul's choice of words there that invite us to pray to the God who can do far, far more than we can ask or imagine. Now, I have a pretty active imagination. I have a few ideas around here. And sometimes you guys laugh at me for that. We actually follow a king, honor a king, live for a king, who Paul says in these words can do far, far more than we can ask or imagine. That's challenging, isn't it? Challenging for what we pray for, for how we pray for it. I'm challenged. Are you? Let's spend some time now in prayer. Uh, I think we'll do it in groups, because I'd love to give you more, all an opportunity to be involved in this rather than doing it one at a time. So just with the people around you, let's pray together. Pray for what you think God is speaking into your life over the last few days and weeks, our life together as a community. Practice listening to each other. Where is there resonance? Where do we hear God speaking? Uh, and then the question I've got for you over coffee as we finish up today is, how do you think God's leading us to respond as we respond to what's happening in South Australia and the wider Australia with these bushfires? Uh, we want to figure out as a, Christ, as a church community uh, what it is that we can do, uh, how we can act in response to some of what we're seeing. So let's do that now. Let's spend some time in prayer.